Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from EverAg Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Phil Plord. We're excited to have you along. If you enjoy the show, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. All right, first things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 8.30 a.m. Central Time on Thursday, April 27th. Yesterday, block cheddar was at $1.64 per pound, down 12 cents on the week, and barrels came in at $1.49, down 4 cents on the week. Both of those markets set new year-to-date lows this week. Butter is at $2.40 per pound, unchanged from last week. Turning to grains, nearby corn is at $6.42 per bushel, down 31 cents per week. Nearby beans, $14.36, down 71 cents. And soy meal, $426 per ton, down $28 from a week ago. Let's turn to our all-star panel. We are lucky to have some heavy hitters with us today. First off, welcome to Brian Fletcher, the leader of Everag's commercial risk management practice. Next, we have Ryan Yonkman, a key leader on our producer risk management team, and Britt O'Connell, a pivotal player in our Grain Foundations group out of Platteville, Wisconsin. Folks, welcome aboard. Good morning. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Phil. Thanks. We'll start with what's the buzz. Let's talk about what's making the most noise in the areas we cover. Brian Fletcher, why don't you go first today? We just came off of ADPI, Phil, and I think the largest buzz, if you will, at the conference was the U.S. cheese market is officially in defense mode. So over the course of the last three months, we saw the European cheese market make a very aggressive move lower. Most notably, the mozzarella cheese market moved down to 135 and then back up to about 150. In each case, it was lower than the U.S. cheese market. And over the last three weeks or so, the U.S. market is really defending its export territory and trying to regain some export market share. So that's by far the biggest buzz in the market right now. Walking out of ADPI, would you say the tone was bullish, bearish, despondent, hopeful, uh, what was your overall assessment of the tone of the big meeting? I, I don't know if the bulls were on spring break, but I, I did not talk to a single one at ADPI, which we all know how that can go sometimes where the bears were loud and proud. So I, you know, I don't want to deny the tone, but I, I think in terms of more milk in the US, more milk in the EU, more milk in New Zealand. And competing for that export market is a lot more challenging when we're seeing price competition out of each major supply region in the world right now. If there are any bulls there, I didn't find them either. But, you know, beware when everybody's on the same side of the boat. Ryan Yonkman, what about you? What's the buzz in your world? Yeah, so you know, kind of along those lines, you've got this, you know, 50 cent move in cheese, you know, $5 in class milk over the last couple months. Dairies are sitting in a difficult position here. We kind of saw this coming, but now we are in the, the guts of a several months of negative margins. Um, but the buzz along those negative margins is really the, the margin difference, the basis difference we're seeing across the country in regards to what some of these dairies are getting paid. Uh, we're seeing you know, a, a pretty significant 2 to 3 and even sometimes $4 spread between what, say, a dairy might be receiving in the Mideast to what they might be receiving in the Southwest, which is more or less putting some dairies in a position where Q1 wasn't that bad and others where Q1 was. 
But when we start walking into this Q2 part of the curve where we've got April priced, we've now got May half priced at significantly lower prices. I think I can put everybody in the same camp now of pretty well across the U.S. Dairies have now all dipped into the red side of the ink when we look at this second quarter. And the hope and relief is uh, around the idea <laughs> milk will not only tighten up, but we can go find this export bid Fletcher was talking about. It's pretty sobering when you look at, we kind of calculate our spot equivalent class three price. And that looks a lot like $15 as of yesterday. I mean, that's, that's, that's the real deal in terms of painful. All right, Britt. December corn sliding a little bit this morning, 534 and change. What's is that the buzz in your world? What's going on in your neighborhood? Yeah, absolutely. So corn continues to struggle on the old crop and new crop front. China canceled a big order of old crop corn deliveries on Monday morning. That certainly didn't help. On the soybean front, Brazil is now exporting soybeans into the US a record crop paired with a shortage of grain storage facilities in Brazil has sent their prices tumbling and made them competitive. And buyers across the U.S. have found them cheaper than domestic supplies. But, you know, interestingly enough, as I talk to growers across the country, planting pace in the Midwest is a bit slow. Now, I will admit that the USDA's weekly crop progress report has us above pace on corn and soybeans. But I think a lot of that has to do with where the corn is being planted this year. If you look at that state-by-state breakdown from those planting intentions reports, we've got large increases, particularly in the southeast part of the U.S. And so naturally, they're going to be able to get that crop in a little bit earlier. But these cold temperatures have certainly caused a lot of Midwest growers to put pause on planting. It didn't seem likely that there was a lot of planning going on last Saturday, for example, as we had snow flurries in central and southern Wisconsin, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure Platteville is in the same boat as Madison on that one. (laughs) Certainly, that's something that's concerning with a weather forecast that doesn't really give us a substantial stretch of warmer weather. So we'll, we'll continue to watch that as we move forward. All right. We're kind of in an odd lull period here in some of these markets. Corn, you know, it's not late yet. Planting progress, so we're kind of all sitting back, waiting and seeing how these planters roll. On dairy, we have this big run-up to, you know, some nice Easter business in some of our markets. But now we're kind of looking around and saying, all right, it's not uh, it's not the spring holidays. It's not yet summer. So I thought it'd be fun on the center of the plate today to just pick the three things that you guys are watching most carefully or think are most important over the next few weeks as we're in this like bridge period between early spring and early summer. Brian Fletcher, you can go first today. What's on your list? Number one on my list, Phil, is the European market once again. And I look at it through two different angles. A lot of eyes are on European spring flush as well. And whether or not their prices are how they're going to come out of this consolidation that we're seeing now, specifically in the cheese market. So does European Watts stay at 150 or does it move up to 160, 170? If so, I think that gives a U.S. market more room to breathe a little bit, or does it continue to consolidate or does it come down? So a lot of eyes are on there, which brings me to number two is whether or not the U.S. can gain back some export market share. And then lastly, I would say we have forthcoming new cheese processing capacity coming online. The last kind of target dates that we were looking at for the the new Texas cheese capacity was around July 1. 
that's about two months away now. So we're sneaking up on that time and a lot of questions are surrounding, are we going to be good to go to ramp up or is there going to be continued delays and so on? So those are the three topics that we'll be actively investigating here coming up in the next few weeks. So Fletch, around this conversation of exports, because I think everyone here can can kind of call, that's been our North Star here for a few months, right? Uh, to a degree, this break, I don't think any of us are surprised by it. It, it felt needed in order to go get in, the, get in the sandbox here where we can maybe participate. But I think the kind of the million dollar question now is, okay, if we get into this 150 arena, as you'd mentioned, can we go get business? But a, a question for you on that is, you know, what, what type of export numbers are we talking about? What's, what's a typical pace of exports the U.S. has historically maintained in regards to cheese living in this country? And kind of what's the current pace right now? Well, on I think last year, Ryan, 2022 is going to be a, uh, the banner benchmark for a while anyway. On average, on a monthly basis, we are exporting close to 83 million pounds of cheese over the course of 2022. And that calculates to about 7% of the total U.S. cheese production. This year, January continued that trend of stellar export growth. We exported about 75 million pounds of cheese. In February, that number tapered to about 72.5 million pounds. And I would imagine that March number is going to look a lot different. So uh, the idea would be, you know, that the if you were to standardize the benchmark on a monthly basis, we need to be close to that 83 million pound per month mark on average. And generally, we export more as we, we get into the spring and summer months. So we'll see. I, I think it's going to be a really, really, really tough task to uh, get close to those numbers that we saw last year. Yeah, I know. And we're going to start keeping score against last year's busiest months. Like we were, we did 90 million pounds a month, March, April, May into June of last year. And, you know, kind of the, what we're hearing is that we're not, we're not going to be, you know, the seventies might be the reality or maybe even worse for a little bit. All right. So spot barrels below 150, super competitive at the moment. All right. Can we build some a little business there? And how does that differ from sort, sort of more longer term sales that we can do? And what's the what's the hurdle there? That's a really good question. And I you hinted at it earlier, Phil. It does feel like the market is solving a problem right now. The question that everyone's asking is, are we solving a, a near-term problem or a long-term one? And at this point in time, I wouldn't be surprised if we do pick up some spot export business. However, if you look at the cheese forward curve, the back half really hasn't moved all that much. And our friends in Europe, when they forward contract, they're generally doing it for quarters at a time, sometimes half yearly contracts. And their pricing on a forward basis is still more competitive than the U.S. forward curve. So I, I think it's safe to say we're solving a near term problem right now. But, you know, as we look on out into later second quarter and even into the third quarter, it's likely going to be a bumpy road here moving forward because of how high the U.S. forward curve is relative to our competitors. And if there was some more talking on ADPI, you know, you talk about everybody walking out as a bear. I don't think anyone could, could disagree with the right now, but you talk about that pivot point. You know, historically, June, July, right, is a good time for us to pivot, right? We get through our flush, you get some business done. And to me, there was a ton of questions around are we going to have that pivot, right? And that all hinges on the S idea of 
how much business can we truly get done? There was no obvious answer on that other than that's what I think's got a lot of people circling the wagons on. Is this going to bleed deep into Q3 or can we truly bully our way into this market, clear some product? I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's uh, it, it'll be it could be ugly uh, for certain people in the mix. Ryan, what about yourself? What what three things are you looking at here in this little lull period? Yeah, so it's you know we hate to come back to everything we just discussed, but it, this is very much for our team right now around the idea of really watching close this next thirty days, knowing we've gotten to a price point to where we think we can start to compete. And we're going to be listening and watching carefully about how much business we think is getting done. And if that starts to feel bumpy, as Fletch mentioned, uh, I hate to say it, but we're probably going to have to start to subscribe a bit more to, hey, this could have a longer tail on it than we had originally thought. Could put some pressure on us to have to get deeper into the back half as far as dairies might want to be on covering milk. And the kind of sad part about that is when we look at margins, especially when we talk about some of that negative basis in key regions, there's not a lot of black ink, if any, frankly into that third quarter, which continues to make this back half a conundrum for our dairies. Now that said, we skipped Q4. Things start to look a lot more interesting because of Brit's side of the equation. As we watch these input prices really start to tumble with new crop making new lows, you can really start to flip the framework of thinking for dairy margins when we get into that fourth quarter when you start talking new crop pricing. So it's kind of kind of a Q3, not sure Q4 Maybe these inputs can reset the margin equation for us to where, hey, a dollar ninety cheese is a good opportunity. So, Britt, on the uh, feed cost side of the street with corn making newish lows, soy meal off its highs, what are the three things you're watching and, and how do you fe- feel things are going to unfold from here? Well, I think that the main thing that we're going to be watching is how does this crop go in the ground? Historically, you know, seasonally, Sometime here between planting and pollination, generally we have something that scares this market and we start to see prices appreciate again. So that's going to be something that we really are watching. Secondary to that, I guess, would probably be just exports. How do we come into kind of this final push on the old crop sales for corn and beans? Because that's going to affect not just how we finish out this year, but also then that's going to be beginning stocks for the coming year. And as we talk about this new crop pricing situation and where that could go, it's going to be really interesting to see how that fleshes out. Because while domestically, if we have a really good crop, we could certainly see pressure on prices. There's some unknowns in the global sphere that make us a little bit apprehensive or a little bit cautious in taking an outright bearish position. We know that Ukraine is likely not going to grow a great crop probably half of what they had grown pre-war, albeit that was a record year for them. Argentina has been nothing short of a disaster. And so it really puts pressure, you know, on the U.S., on this safrina crop in Brazil and and South Africa to an extent to supply the world with the exportable corn. Certainly that we can do that, but we're going to need to see stellar crops on both continents in order to accomplish that. So we're really going to be honing in on production and how this crop starts coming together. Yeah, I call this the two season, right? We're going to be either too early or too late, too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold. Uh, every week, there's going to be something that we are too something, right? Well, that's certainly the hope of grain growers out there. I know dairymen, to Young's point, are certainly appreciating this you know, move back lower. But for producers out here, they're nervous. These prices, when you take local basis values off, they are sub cost of production in most cases now. And so it'll be interesting to see how 
the grain farmer who, you know, has got a little staying power. How does he treat this market given the last couple of years? Kind of hard to get aggressive at, you know, in the low fives when you've seen six and seven before, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thanks, Britt. All right. It's time for our last segment. What are we doing to help clients? Brian, you can go first. You know, as I was walking into the studio, Phil, I was talking to John Spainhauer, and he was telling me he has a July to East barrel bid around $1.87. So we're trying to find clients that want to buy cash around one fifty and sell on a forward basis. And I think that, that that's a lot of opportunity to, to buy cash today, store it, and uh, sell at a higher price down the road. And I think in turn, that can also do the overall market a favor and hopefully lower the forward curve pricing. So that's what we'll be focused on as, as soon as we wrap up this recording. Ryan Yonkman, what about you? You know, we're, we're pretty quiet right now. Fortunate that dairies have had a pretty strong hands position going into this break. You, know, you rewind to last fall, even late summer, a lot of first half milk got booked, got covered you know, through DRP programs and on the exchange. So right now we're kind of riding our hedges into the ground, letting them do their job, carefully starting to poke around the edges in regards to managing some gains. When you start looking at months like June, where these dairies have built a lot of equity with, say, puts that might start at $20. Now, when you get into the back half and you talk about the forward forward curve, uh, dairies tend to have a much lighter position. We've we've talked for months now how that's been a tricky part of the curve. We are going to be careful around that end. Like Britt's equation, there's no obvious margin. Uh, that doesn't mean there's not something to do. But at this point in time, this is typically the easiest time to get bearish when there's lots of milk, lots of product. We've now gotten to prices, as we mentioned, where we'd like to think we can compete. We're going to stay on our toes in the back half, be nimble. Uh, again, try to focus on this next 30 days and see if we can't find some optimism coming out of uh, hopefully some exports. And Britt, you have the last word. Similar to Ryan, you know, we've largely got a lot of our producers sold on old crop. They've got their puts on new crop. And so we're kind of riding our hedges down again, kind of poking around the edges here, trying to figure out what the next move is and seeing if seasonality plays out. For our buyers of grain, that means protect yourself right now because you can do it pretty cheap. And with softer milk prices, the last thing a guy can afford to do is have high price feed. So this is a great spot for those guys to get covered up on some upside protection against seasonal tendencies and moves higher. And for our sellers, a lot of them right now, we're just riding those hedges and waiting for a better price to start participating and being sellers in this market. That's all for today's show. Thanks to our panelists, Brian, Ryan, and Britt. Thanks as always to Paige Driscoll, our master media person for making us all sound good. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk, contact us at insight at ever.ag. At